Who's ready for the word? Well, well, so am I. Now, what we're going to do, this is the deal. Let's keep our distractions to a minimum. Could you make sure your mobile phones are muted? I had this update on my phone and I hate updates on my phone because then I don't know if it, if it works still. But anyway, I've made sure mine's muted. Make sure it's um, muted. If you've got a child that gets a bit restless, we've got children's church, we've got creche. But it's really important we um, give some attention to the Word of God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce today one of our Connect Group leaders He's a good friend of mine, a good friend of yours. Could you put your hands together for Regan as he comes to bring the word? God bless you, Regan. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Thank you, Raju. You know, God's spirit is, is here, is in his house. Even with that first worship song, the Lion of Judah is fighting our battles. He is roaring. And even as we had communion and we took a stand, that you will see is a confirmation of today's message. Amen. I thank the Lord that His Spirit is here. I thank the Lord that He's confirmed His Word. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Dave and Rochelle, for the opportunity to bring God's Word. It's always a joy and a privilege. It was seven weeks ago and one day. That takes us to October the 7th. It was 6.30 when Israel was struck with horror. On that day... An estimated 2,200 rockets were fired into southern and central Israel, including the cities of Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Yes. On that fatal day, 1,400 lives were lost, 4,000 lives injured, and over 240 hostages seized. Israel declared war. Israel stated it was fighting for independence again. It was like 9-11 magnified tenfold. Now, seven weeks later, this war is surrounded by controversy and criticism. But today, we're not looking at the controversy. Today, we're not looking at the criticism. Today, we're not looking at that war. No, we're looking at the war behind the war. You see, there is a physical war. But there is a war behind that war. And that war is a war between light and darkness. That war is a war between heaven and hell. And that war is a war between Satan and the Savior. And you might say, Regan, why is there a spiritual war behind the physical war? Can you connect the dots? I'm glad you asked. Can I just give you two reasons? Why there is a war behind the war. This is not my message, but let me say it. There is a war behind the war because God's chosen nation is involved. God's chosen nation, you might say. What about the Aussies? Well, God chose Israel as his chosen nation. Why? Because he can. Because he has. And because he will. But can I say, God has chosen you. He's chosen you for a specific purpose, for a specific plan. And that purpose and that plan is exclusive to you and you only. Only you can walk in that plan. Only you can walk in that calling. Only you can walk in that purpose. In like manner, God has called Israel as a nation for a specific plan, a specific purpose. Now, it might, not, it might look like they're not walking in that plan 
And they, it might look like they're not walking in that purpose. But God who begins a work in Israel will complete it to the end. And God who begins a work in you will complete it to the very end. Why is there a war behind the war? Because God's chosen nation is involved. Why is there a war behind the war? Because God's chosen land is involved. Now the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. The heavens are his throne room. The earth is his footstool. But this land is different. You see, it's the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. And so it's called the promised land. It's called the land of Canaan. It's described as the land that flows with milk and honey. It's the land that's made reference to from Dan to Bathsheba. It's the land from the river in Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Well, this land is unique because it's got God's title deed uniquely written all over it. The land is mentioned approximately 150 times in the Bible. But on several instances, that land is accompanied with an oath or a covenant. An oath or a covenant that is often described as unconditional and everlasting. I'm just saying, God's nation is involved. And God's land is involved. And so there's a war behind the war. But today we're looking at that war. The war that began from the beginning of time as we know it. And the war that shall go through to the end of time. I bring to you a message entitled, The War, The Greatest Anti-Semite versus The Greatest Savior. The Greatest Anti-Semite versus The Greatest Savior. We all know what anti-Semitism is. It's the evil hatred towards God's chosen nation. But can I give you the biblical definition of anti-Semitism? It is the satanic, evil hatred towards God's chosen nation. Satan, the devil, he comes to kill and to destroy. But I am come, says Jesus, to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. You know, Satan has a hit list. You know, when you play a game of chess, the objective of the game in chess is to get your opponent checkmate and to kill the king. Well, Satan is playing spiritual chess. His number one on his hit list is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Jesus, the holy one of Israel. Jesus, the lion of Judah, as we sang. Jesus, who is also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, number one is Jesus, the king of the Jews, on Satan's hit list. And number two is the Jewish people, God's chosen nation. And number three on Satan's hit list are the chosen people, the church, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The war, the greatest anti-Semite versus the greatest savior. The outline of today's message will be the war begins. Genesis chapter 3 will be our point of reference. The war intensifies. Point 2, Revelations 12 will actually be our text. And the war concludes. Revelations 19 will be our text. 
the war of all wars, the battle of all battles, the climax of all God's judgments. Let's pray and ask the Lord to anoint his word. Lord, we come into your presence. We thank you that there is joy in your presence. We thank you there is strength in your presence. We thank you that there is power in your presence. We pray that your word would go forth. You would open eyes. You would open hearts. You would empower lives that we might fight the good fight. In Jesus' name, anoint my words, anoint my mind, and anoint your people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Genesis chapter 3, the battle begins. In Genesis chapter 3, God has a one-on-one -on -one with Satan. Genesis 3 is known as the fall of man. And it's true that Satan has already fallen before Genesis 3. But Genesis 3 will be our point of reference because here we will see in a few verses, chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, we will see the war declared, victory prophesied, the battle described. In these few verses we will see the war declared, victory prophesied, and the battle described. Reading verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. Done what? Satan, you have not only taken a third of the angels in heaven and rebelled against me, but now you have led mankind to be in, rebe in rebellion against me. So cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. Verse 15, war is declared. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Who is the offspring of the woman? It is the promised seed. It is Jesus Christ. War is declared between Jesus and the serpent. Victory is now prophesied. He, that is Jesus, will crush your head. Jesus will crush Satan's head. But the battle is described. And you, Satan, will strike his heel. Pastor Dave, for an illustration, can you come up, please? Really? <laughs> now, Pastor Dave is a great squash player. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, Pastor Dave recently played against the second best squash player in Australia. Oh, yes, I did. Now, that person was a woman, but the second best. And she was going for the Olympics. She will be. Now, did she crush your head? Yes. <laughs> did you strike her heel? No, not even close. Okay, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Church, I submit to you, the battle is described. Take note, Satan is striking heels. Satan is striking the heel of God's chosen nation. But let's take this truth home. Satan is striking your heel. Yes. Can you turn to your neighbor and look at their heels? <laughs> now, I've seen, I've seen some heels. I've seen some heels that are dry. I've seen some heels that are cracked. Yes. But I'm talking not about cracked heels. I'm talking about cracked lives. Because when Satan strikes heels, he strikes homes. We've declared, bless the Lord. 
He strikes homes. He strikes families. He strikes marriages. He strikes in the lives of your children and in the lives of your children's children. He's striking homes. He strikes internally. He strikes in our minds. Oh, is the mind a great battlefield. He strikes in our minds. He strikes in our hearts, our passions, our desires. He strikes internally and He strikes externally. He strikes in our health. Oh, He does. He strikes in our finances. Oh, Satan is striking heels. But as the battle begins, there is a word of instruction from God's word. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God. And in this passage, we're not looking at the armor of God, but we're looking, Pastor Bethwin, at one word. And that word we said in the communion is stand. You know, it says this word four times. Put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6 verse 11, so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Jumping to verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. After you've done everything, stand. Therefore, guess what? Stand. As the battle begins, the instruction from God's word is to take a stand on the battlefield and to stand. You know, when Israel were faced with their enemy, the Philistines. And they were confronted with the champion of that Philistine, Goliath. And Goliath presented a challenge to Israel. Who in the armies of Israel would take a stand on the battlefield? Not one soldier, nor the king of Israel, but a shepherd boy who came up and said, who shall defy the armies of the living God? Young David took a stand on the battlefield. And with a stone and a sling, he hit Goliath on the head as Jesus shall strike serpent's head. In the battlefield, there is an instruction to take a stand and to stand. The battle begins. The battle or the war intensifies. You know, in the battle, as the war intensifies, as the storms grow stronger and harder, and when war wages, I'd like to ask you, not how is your healed, but I'd like to ask you, how is your war? I mean, are you standing? Because in the battlefield, when, when trials come, when tests come, when temptations come, when tribulations come, are we standing? Well, the truth is, We've all fallen. The Bible says in Romans, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen into temptation. We've all fallen. It's not just Adam and I. It's all of us. We've all fallen. We've fallen into the pit of sin. But when Jesus came to the cross, he came to not condemn the fallen, but he came to rescue and to redeem the fallen. He came to rescue and to redeem the fallen. You know, Jesus came to rescue and redeem the fallen. You know, what does it mean that God, that Israel is God's chosen? You know, the prophet Zechariah put it this way. He said, Israel is the apple of God's eye. 
And what does that mean? Pastor John Hagee explained it this way. He said, when you attack Israel, it's like you're poking your finger in the very pupil of God's eye. You have not only offended the Almighty, but you've got his full attention. Can I just say that Hamas has poked God's eye and I've got his full attention, but Jesus came to rescue and to redeem all. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for the Jews. For God so loved the Jews that he gave. No, for God so loved the world. And when he died on the cross, he died for the Jews, for the Palestinians, and for Hamas, can I say? That whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus did not come to condemn the fallen. He came to rescue and to redeem the fallen. As the war intensifies, some of us are fallen. When you know that Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, the story of the lost son, can we call it the story of the fallen son? And in that story, the son leaves the home and he goes into the country, he goes into the world, if you like. He does all that he should not do. And when he returns, the father does not condemn the fallen son, but the father embraces the son. The father kisses the son, the father celebrates the son. You know, if you've fallen, return. Isaiah 30 verse 15 says, in returning and rest, you will be saved. If you're fallen, God is a father to the fallen. He gives to you a redeeming love. But some of us are not only fallen. You see, in Proverbs, we we read that a, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up again. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up again. But there are some who don't stay, who don't get up again. They stay fallen. And when they stay fallen, they don't stay fallen, they get broken. They get broken. Satan strikes their heel harder, and they get broken. You know, the Bible describes us as earthen vessels in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 7. Earthen vessels or jars of clay. So imagine with me a jar of clay. Clay is not the strongest material, is it? It's easily broken. But it's a jar of clay that 2 Corinthians says that has treasures within. The treasure of Jesus that contains all peace, all hope, and all joy. This earthen vessel, this jar of clay, is filled with water, not ordinary water, but living water, the water of Jesus. But when this jar of clay is cracked, the living water drips and seeps out. And as that crack becomes bigger, the living water now gushes out. And soon the jar of clay is empty. You see, in the battlefield, if you don't get up when you're fallen, you become broken. You're like the jar of clay that is not only broken, but is empty. But Jesus, he's a father to the fallen, and he's a potter to the broken. You see, when God made man in Genesis, he used the dust of the ground. God was a potter in Genesis. And God is a potter now. He wants to fix that broken jar. And he wants to fill that jar that it might overflow with more of him. Where are you in the battlefield? 
Are you fallen? Are you broken? Jesus is the father to the fallen, a potter to the broken. But some of us are not only fallen and broken, but we are held hostage by the enemy. When someone is taken hostage, they're usually blindfolded and taken away. When you're held hostage to sin and the power of its darkness, you're blinded to the things of God and you're blinded to the plans and purposes that he has for you. And God to you is a mighty warrior in Zephaniah. And as we shall see in Revelations, he is a king that shall fight. And he comes to deliver and to set you free. And he comes with light to reveal his plans and his purposes and all that he has for you. Where are you in the battlefield? The war intensifies. My actual text for this is found in Revelations chapter 12. Now, Revelations chapter 12, we find three key characters. And the three characters are very similar to the three key characters in Genesis. In Revelations chapter 12, and I'll run it through, read it at your own free time. But in Revelations 12, there is a dragon. In Genesis 3, there is a serpent. The serpent and the dragon are the same, and is Satan. In Revelations chapter 12, there is a child, a male child that is born. In Genesis chapter 3, there is the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, the prophesied Messiah, Jesus. We have Jesus in Genesis 3, and we have Jesus in Revelations 12. We have the serpent and the dragon. We have Jesus. And then in Revelations 12, we have a woman. And in Genesis 3, we have a woman. But the, women, the woman in Revelations 12 is uniquely attired. She is perhaps awkwardly dressed, but her, her dress, her attire, reveal her identity. The woman is dressed, it says, with light, with the sun. She's clothed with the sun. And the moon is under her feet, and 12 stars surround her head. Don't get lost. There is the sun, the moon, and the stars. You'll have to go to Genesis 37 to decode the message. But the sun represents Jacob, the father of Israel. Jacob, whose name turns to Israel. The moon is his wife, the mother of Israel. And the 12 stars represent the 12 sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. The woman church in Revelations 12 is Israel. The woman gives birth to a child. And as she's about to give birth, the dragon, Satan, stands over the woman to kill and to destroy his number one target, Jesus. For, for, for the dragon knows the prophecy that was said in the garden that Jesus shall crush your head. So Satan attempts to crush Jesus' head. When Jesus is born, Herod has all the male children, two years and below, killed in the vicinity of Bethlehem. That was a war behind the wall. That was the work of the great anti-Semite. Even if you go to the book of Exodus and you see Pharaoh killing the male Jewish children, that was a war behind the wall. That was the work of the great anti-Semite, trying to kill the promised seed at the earliest of opportunities. But in Revelations 12, we read that the baby Jesus is born. We read of his prophetic rule and reign, and we read of his ascension as he goes up to the throne room of God. 
the dragon is unable to tick his box. He's unable to kill the number one on his hit list. So he turns to the woman who is Israel and he persecutes the woman. But here's the truth. As the war intensifies, God delivers and God defends. As your war intensifies, be assured God delivers and God defends. In Revelations chapter 12, verse 14, we will see the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so, so that she could fly from the serpent's presence. The woman is supernaturally delivered. This battle that is about to unfold between the dragon and the woman, between Satan and Israel, is going to be Satan's greatest campaign to kill and to destroy Israel. For he no longer sends Herod, he no longer sends Pharaoh, he no longer sends Hamas. He knows his time is near and he himself goes to hunt, to kill and to destroy. It's Satan's greatest campaign. It's also Satan's supernatural campaign. But guess what? God does the supernatural as well. God defends supernaturally and he delivers supernaturally. It's a, Satan's greatest campaign. It's Satan's supernatural campaign, but it's also Satan's defeated campaign. You see, Satan goes to persecute the woman. The woman is given wings and she's delivered and taken to the wilderness. There she's nourished and fed for a time. And Satan then does the supernatural. He's enraged, he's furious. He opens his mouth. This is a war you see against principalities and powers. Satan opens his mouth and he spews rivers of water to kill and to drown. You know what God did to the Egyptians? Satan tries to do to God's chosen. But God delivers again and he defends. He has the earth swallow up the waters and God's chosen nation is delivered. You know, when the enemy attacks, God can swallow up that enemy and God can deliver you. You know, it's interesting when I read that, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, Revelations 12, verse 14. Compare that with Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord, or those who hope on the Lord, they will soar on wings like eagles. God can give you wings like eagles. You can soar above the trials. You can soar above the temptations. You can soar above the tribulations, for yours is the victory. The war intensifies. If you're fallen, Jesus is a father with redeeming love. If you're broken, Jesus is a potter to the broken. And if you're even held captive, Jesus is the mighty warrior. Let's go see Jesus, the mighty warrior. The war concludes Revelations chapter 19. Revelations chapter 19. The war concludes here I'd like you to see Jesus. We've looked at Satan as we conclude. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. I'd like you to see Jesus, the mighty warrior. His eyes, Revelations chapter 19, verses 11 to 16, if you want to have a look at it. 
His eyes, oh, his eyes are like fire, for they see all things, and they shall purify all things. His head has many crowns, for he is not just the king of the Jews. He's not just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is the God of Regan. He is the God of your name. And he is the king of every nation, every tribe, every race, every culture, every people. And he comes in all his glory. But most of all, I love his robe. I love his robe. His robe is dripped in blood. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, comes roaring, we sang. But Jesus, the Lion of Judah, he comes roaring with the robe that belongs to the Lamb of God. For that blood is the redeeming blood. It is the blood of the Lamb. That blood shall be remembered for all eternity. For it is by his blood that you and I are saved. Look at his eyes. Look at his head. Look at his robe. And out of his mouth comes forth a sword. This is not the word of God. This is an instrument of war. And for with it he shall strike all nations and all rebellion. See his appearance. See his purpose. He comes in righteousness to judge and to make war. This war, no UN council can condemn. For this war will be executed in complete righteousness and all holiness. He comes to judge. The day of grace, the period of grace has now expired. You know, in the tribulation, the period of grace is still there. The tribulation period is a time of great judgment. But do you know, the tribulation period is also a time of great salvation. Many shall be saved. I believe the greatest revival shall be in the tribulation. Why? Why? Why did God choose Israel, Regan? He chose Israel that Israel might be a witness to all nations. Israel's story is not finished. In the tribulation, there shall be great judgment. There shall be great salvation. There shall be a great chapter for Israel. For Israel shall shine. And Israel shall be a tremendous witness to all nations. The word shall go to all nations. And then the end of the age shall come. Jesus shall return to judge and to make war. See his appearance. See his purpose. But then see his armies. His armies. His armies come. And their robes. Their robes aren't dripped in blood. Their robes are white clean and fine. How is your heel, I asked you? How is your war? Now how is your robe? Is your robe clean, white and fine? For these saints are those who've been raptured and they return. What is the rapture? It's when Christians, dead and alive, at the sound of the trumpet, at the voice of the archangel, at the command of the Lord Jesus, are are raptured, are taken up, and are with the Lord, and shall be with Him. Now these saints return. Along with saints through the tribulation, they come with robes that are white. Are you redeemed? As we conclude, I'd like to ask you a few questions. The first is the most important question, and that is, how are your robes? Are you ready for Jesus? For he is coming. 
We are in the last days. Are you ready? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Perhaps we can have the worship team up. <clears throat> you know, with every eye bowed and every heart humbled in the presence of God. Every heart submit to the presence, the Spirit of God Almighty. If there's anyone here who is not ready to be with the Lord, Today's your time. You see, the Christians are raptured. But you might go, Regan, the Christians escape the judgment and the non-Christians stay on earth. Isn't that discrimination? No, the Christians have already been judged. When Jesus died on the cross, He took our judgment. He paid our price. For I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you can't say that you are receiving white robes, if you haven't accepted Jesus, now is the time to quickly slip up your hand and I'd like to pray for you. Is there anyone here? I'm not going to drag it. Is there anyone here who hasn't accepted Jesus with every eye bowed? Then I'd just like to ask you, how is your war? Because in the war, there are trials. There are tribulations. There are tests. And in the war, there is brokenness. Brokenness in homes. Brokenness in health. Brokenness in finances. Brokenness in your mind. Is there anyone here who would like prayer? Can I just get you to slip up your hand and I'd like to close in prayer. Praise God. Praise God. You know, in the battlefield, there was an instruction and that instruction is to take a stand. So today, can I have you all to take a stand? Lord, we just come into your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it contains. We thank you for the treasure that it contains. Father, we accept your word. And Father, we want to live according to your word. Yes. Lord, we pray your spirit, your presence would work actively in our hearts and in our lives. Yes. Help us to fight the good fight. Help us, Father, to be ready for that day. And to look for that day when we shall be with you forevermore. Yes. We thank you that ours is the victory in Jesus' name. We ask that you'd bless your people and bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.